Everybody be cool. This is a robbery. Any of you fucking pigs move and I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you. And welcome to the Idiot Box Tales podcast with me, Kat. And me, Tom. Um, so today we're coming back at you again with another... With the white vans. Fa- <laughs> <laughs> back again with the white vans. Damn. Daniel. Damn, Daniel. Kill at me, my bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got another fan club for you. And today it is the Quentin Tarantino fan whoop, club. Whoop. Um, I think we should do a few of these with our favourite directors. Yeah, I've because got, we've got loads. We've got loads. I definitely want to do a Wes Craven one. Yeah, and uh, We'll M. do Night. that for Halloween. We're doing an M. Wes. Night one, but that's just a bit of a piss take, that. M. Night Shyamalan, because he's uh, not... Shyamalan. Because <laughs> he's not one of my favourite directors. I just love But it. his films are interesting to talk about, even if they are stupidly predictable. Um, but I think I want to do a Wes Craven one, so... Yeah. If, you know, you like Wes Craven, you like that kind of horror... Uh, Keep an eye on the podcast. Keep on us, bro. Yeah, and that'll be coming up. But today, we are talking about the legend, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, Um, The incredible writer, dialogue writer, uh, amazing amazing storyteller, um, all-around weirdo. Gives us the gore that we want. Gives us the gore. Gives us the realism. Um... Yeah, just his films are legendary and for someone, you know, who never went to film school, who, yeah, you know, bugged and bartered for everything that he wanted but within it's... his films, probably one of few people where the general populace will be able to tell, yeah, exactly what films he's done. So you, you think about, films... if you think, if you're a film, if you're a, yeah. f- a film fan or a creative like us... You would know, say you'd be able to rattle off like someone said, "What are um, Wes Craven's films?" You'd rattle them off. Yeah. Or um, you know, what films has Anthony Muschietti done, and you'd rattle them off. But anyone near enough, anyone, if you said, "What films has Quentin Tarantino done?" They'll be able to just go through. It's quite easy to tell a Tarantino movie when you're watching it. But like, is this a Tarantino movie? Because he's got his own life. It's it's a weird structure. The films are like structured, like like chapters. Like, you'd always get the chapters. Not all of them are like that, but I get where you're coming from. Like, he's he does structure Like, Django, well. Kill Bill, uh, Reservoir Dogs, I think that's the same Django is pretty much, like, even. I love Django. As we go through his films, he goes back and forth between characters. In some of his films, he goes back and forth between past, present, future. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right. It is very easy to tell a Quentin Tarantino film. Um another way to tell if you're watching a Quentin Tarantino film is the actors he's yeah, got his own little, yeah, little, his little <laughs> cast and crew that he sticks with um, similar to Kevin Smith yeah uh, and um, the fella he's on Sweeney Todd with Tim Burton Tim Burton he's got yeah. his own little crew yeah I think for filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino it's very much you know you know what works you know what fits you know who can deliver your dialogue the, the way job, you yeah. want to do you the way you want it so you tend to just stick with the same people yeah and it's been from start to finish really i mean 
Um, Samuel L. Jackson has been near enough every <laughs> yeah. film. We've got legends like Tim Roth and um, Michael Madsen. Uma Thurman, who's in yeah. a lot. Um, yeah, so what's your favourite Quentin Tarantino film, Tom? Uh, Django, as I said before, I love Django. And it's, Why? Why is it your favourite? Uh, I think the storyline to it and the characters are amazing. So those who haven't mm. seen Django, it's, um, the starting scene is slavers. They've got slaves all chained up and this man pulls up in his cart <laughs> the dentist <laughs> the, the dentist the dentist pulls up in his dentist cart and what's the, what's the actor's name uh, Christoph Waltz Christoph Waltz pops up and he's just like asking for directions <laughs> and um, he asks to buy the sla- a couple of the slaves and they say no so he shoots the men and it's really 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 gruesome yeah um, um, Quentin Tarantino struck lucky when he found Christoph Waltz and he did essentially discover him yeah. When he was casting for Inglorious Bastards, he wanted to find the perfect oh actor God, yeah. to play the Jew Hunter. And at one point, he wasn't going to make the film. He'd auditioned a lot of actors, no one fit the role. Because he couldn't find the role. He wasn't going to make the film, no. And that's one of the things I love about Quentin Tarantino is that he's got his vision. And if he can't execute his vision, then he'd rather not do it. Yeah. He'd rather not settle. But then, not long after he had said that, Christoph Waltz walked in. Found him. It was like perfect. It's Christoph yeah. Waltz actually German, isn't he? He is, yeah. And it's, that's we thought there's a really good German accent, <laughs> and he was just like, he is German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what else do you like about Django? Uh, I, I like it's like a just weird little love story in it, mm. and I do like me rom coms, but it's not a rom com. Broomhilda. The story about Broomhilda and. One of my favourite things about Django is the all too real scene involving Which, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, Leo! Now these are the things that for film fans and filmmakers that make mm. a movie so interesting. So for anyone who doesn't know this but has seen Django, there's a scene where um, Django and I can't remember what Christoph Walter's character's called Christoph Boltz and Jamie Foxx go to see Leonardo DiCaprio because Leonardo DiCaprio has got um, Broomhilda Carrie Washington as a slave um, Carrie Washington and Jamie Foxx are married Yeah. Um, so they go pose as like people who are wanting to buy like a fighting slave um, what are they called um, I'd rather not use the term yeah um go to buy a slave to fight and they say oh we you know took a little bit of a shine to Broomhilda <laughs> we'll add on a little bit more you know but just as a courtesy to you but really that's their plan all along they're just going to take her and leave yeah um but Samuel Samuel Jackson <laughs> the man who forgets he's a slave yeah he's like is it um, house what is it called house slaves yeah he they're like family members he um, figures out the plan and he tells Leonardo DiCaprio who is the owner of the plantation um, Candyland Candyland, and he's the owner of the slaves so he tells them what they're planning and he does confront them and there's a scene where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is going through his speech and he slams his hand down on the table <laughs> and he cuts his hand um, but obviously carries it through in his anger and it's just a 
shocking scene that makes you think that fella is hard <laughs> no not 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 Leonardo DiCaprio the oh, character the you think yeah. that character's hard as fuck he slams like, them down on just, glass <laughs> and you think that's oh, such nice attention to detail by Quentin Tarantino there and then obviously when they were having the kind of press junkets we find out Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't supposed to do that he actually cut his hand when he did that and they just used that scene he just yeah. carried on acting even though he's just split his hand open he and rubs then, his blood in Carrie Washington's and face and the terror in her face is just horrified <sighs> yeah but you think that I was like oh my god they're amazing actors and it's just they are amazing actors but he's just rubbed his actual blood all yeah. over their face and just like threw her head back <laughs> for me that should have been the moment Quentin Tennessee um Leonardo DiCaprio rather won his Oscar. Yeah, instead of for what did he win it for? Was it the Bear film? Yeah, I didn't um, even I haven't seen that and it doesn't appeal to me. He's gave so many more brilliant performances. Yeah. I think it was just at that point the Academy couldn't snub him anymore. Yeah, but to be fair, right, he lost out when Django was out. He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but so was Christoph Waltz. And Christoph Waltz, I yeah, think, I think yeah. Christoph Waltz won it. Uh, was it that? Was it that? Yeah, he, he won. He, I think he's won it? two Oscars. No, for for best supporting actor. Oh, for actor. the best supporting actor. Yeah. I think he's won two Oscars. Um, he won Inglourious one for Inglorious Bastards and one for Django. Um, and he does deserve it, but he does deserve it. But Leo. Leonardo DiCaprio was put in so much hard work. Yeah, the man's got the Oscar he deserves, but not what he deserved it for. Uh, he should have won it for what I think. I, Gilbert I, I think every performance he's done is Oscar worthy. Yeah, um, including. Um, the film that he actually won it for, but I think he should have got it a lot sooner. And he should have won it for What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah, and the reason, his career, the reason that he didn't win it for What's Eating Gilbert Grape is that if you haven't seen the film, Leonardo DiCaprio is what I think he's like 14, 13, mm. 14. This yeah. is his first film, and he plays a young boy with a severe um, cognitive disability. Uh, now is his acting so good that several actors, including people like Nich- um, Jack Nicholson, yeah, um, and what's his name? What's he in? The one that we're really disappointed in. Really disappointed in? Yeah. Uh, Donnie Depp. No. <laughs> um, the, one. the one who's in that film with Zac Efron. Uh, I just wiped him from him. The bad grandpa. What? Yeah. What is his bad grandpa? I can't even remember his name. Oh jeez. Um, well, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> He's just killed his career. He's, he's just, just killed his career for me now. We're doing that, that film, but you, you'll film. know what we're talking about. Um, they have all said, they've said, and loads of other really, you know, accomplished actors have said that when they met Leonardo DiCaprio at the Oscars for which he was nominated for What's Eating Gilbert Grape, that they genuinely thought he was a young boy with cognitive with a cognitive because disability he so because he played well. it so perfectly and i think when the academy were watching the films and voting for the for the winners i think that they didn't give him the oscar because they didn't think he was acting yeah they thought it was just and that's how good of an actor he is is that you don't he you don't even know he's they didn't even know he was acting they should be able to, to go back and put the old movies <laughs> yeah. for new things because it's he should have won it for what's eating Gilbert Group. And I think if they knew that he didn't have a cognitive cognitive disability, yeah, then I think he would have won. 
I think they genuinely just didn't know that he was acting, and I think that's why he, he deserved they, it he, for that. He, he, he didn't get the win, but he did deserve it for that. And ever since then, you know, from first to the to his latest film, he's just an out and out star. Yeah, and it I think stop, does he? he just keeps treating. But I think the thing is with Leonardo DiCaprio is that he kept getting snubbed, but not snubbed intentionally. He created, he set his own standard for himself. Yeah, and. You know, everyone was expecting the performance that he was giving out. It was an outstanding performance, but it was a Leonardo DiCaprio performance, which is outstanding. Anyway, he was never performing better than he did the last time he did a film because he's always at his best. Yeah. So I think that's why, because it was like, oh, it's just Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, and not realising that Leonardo DiCaprio's acting is phenomenal and a cut above the rest genuinely a... one of my favourite actors in the world if not my yeah. favourite has he been really nominated for every not every I know he, he was nominated one, for that and he was close I think he was close to winning on that um, Now You See Me where he plays the um, the identity theft he person. wasn't in Now You See Me he was talking about he? Catch Me If You Can Catch Me If You Can sorry yeah, yeah. Catch Me If You Can that was amazing for them that. yeah uh, and he was nominated for The Aviator he was nominated for The Titanic yeah um Personally, Titanic is my favorite film. Yeah. Personally, I didn't think he he, he would have won, won the Oscar for for Titanic, although his performance was brilliant. Yeah. Um, he's done so many, so many more, you know, incredibly, you know, astounding performances. And Django Unchained is one of those performances yeah. where it is just oh my fucking god. He gets into character quite a bit in that film, and that's yeah. how you know. When it, I when think when it's you, it's it's nice for him to play that kind of character. Yeah, because you don't really see him play a villain. Yeah, no, you and don't. Then it's just showing the different side of him. And Chris, mm. it's Christoph Waltz. The only two films that he's been big in was in Glorious Bastards, and he played a villain in that. And now he's no, playing. he was in James Bond. Oh shit! And he was the villain in that way. Yeah. Well, this is the first time you see Christoph Waltz playing actually like a good person. And it's the other way around for. But the, it uh, works. But yeah, I don't know. I love Christoph Waltz, but. Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards, two dramatically different characters, two very similar performances. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see him in a lot more, do a lot, have a lot more diversity in his, uh, his acting range. And until then, I'm going to reserve my comments on Christoph Waltz. <laughs> yeah. But I do think in uh, Django, he did deserve the Oscar for that because yeah. he's fantastic. And in Inglorious Bastards as well. He was just so fucking evil. He was. He was. It's just, Ooh, you can feel it. That's a bingo! Oh, that's a bingo! Do you know Is what that <laughs> We just say bingo. <laughs> um, the scene that I love in that is when he goes in and starts in um, Inglorious Bastards, mm. where he goes in at the very start and he goes to the farm and he asks for a cold glass of milk. And he just, yeah. just sips it, and he's like, "Do the uh, the people like hard in here? Do they speak? Do you mind yeah. if you speak English?" And he's... no, no, he he says, "Do some do you mind if we start talking English?" And he he just starts talking regularly to him, and he goes, "He's talking about the eagle and the rat." Oh, and he yeah. says, "I'm good at my job because I like think a, like, a, like rat. a rat." And he's looking at him, and he goes, "You are hard and Jews, is that correct?" And he goes, "Yes." He nods at him. He yeah. goes, "They're hiding under the floorboards, is that correct?" And he goes, "Yes." And he says, "Okay, so f- from um." From the, the silence that I still hear, I imagine they don't speak English. So what we're going to do is we're going to go. We're going to switch back into so French. Uh, yeah, French. Yeah. We're going to switch back into French. I'm going to say goodbye. 
we won't start all of and then he does and he starts to say he gets the troops in and he, and then, but he acts like it's his family coming yeah in. it's like hello beautiful ladies he's like oh hello thank you for your hospitality I do I do I do and it's just <laughs> he just he just bears them yeah. and then the little girl runs away is that, not, is that a little girl she's like 13 14 no she's not she is because she grows she up is. She doesn't grow up. It's not that. It's not that far into the. It is. It's not that far. It's not like way into the future. It's not she's like not, she's, forty years. It's not. She's not like two. She's, she's about fifteen. You know, I'd say she, I'd say she's about eighteen at the end of the film. Yeah, at the end of the film, yeah. But and he's going to shoot her with his pistol, and he just goes Kopowski, yeah. like points the pistol away. Mm. Uh, it is an amazing, an amazing masterpiece. Yeah. Um, you know what though, you know I really do love in that film. The Apache. <laughs> do you know why they call me the Apache? What's his name? Aldo. Aldo the Apache because he mm. skins the heads of the Nazis yeah. and then Brad Pitt. He, he goes through the I want before you leave, I want a hundred skull, hundred, yeah. hundred. What is it? He told me a hundred natural scales. <laughs> he told me not a natural scale. He did. He is. He's amazing in that. As what well. are you gonna do when you get home? What are you gonna do with that uniform? I'm gonna take it off and hug my mother. He says he's gonna <laughs> hug his mother. <laughs> and the uniform? He's, he's gonna. He's gonna burn it. Now, she see, see, we don't like that. <laughs> we like no. We're on that too far. So I'm gonna give you a little something you can't take off. And then I always forget. Swastika into his head. I always forget how good of an actor Robert is. Do you know, like how genuinely good, like he is good at his craft. Know, he's good at his job. It's mad in it because you just look. He's like he's more. He's like Johnny Depp. He's like a character actor. He's better. He's when not he plays really characters. because have you seen Mister and Mrs Smith? Um, is that where they're both spies? Where he's Angelina Jolie. He's not a character actor in that, and he's good. Ocean's Eleven, he's good in Ocean's Eleven. Uh, I've never seen Ocean's Eleven. Have you seen the episodes where he's in Friends? Yes. He's I have, really yeah. funny in that. I suppose, yeah. When just, he like hates Rachel. I think the thing is, he just does anything, doesn't he? I think he's, that's why he's, he's like. He's good, yeah. He just, he's, I think yes he, enjoy, he enjoys acting, he enjoys his, his job. job. Yeah. But now I always forget how good of an actor he is until I watch things like yeah. Django, and I'm like, shit, that's, he's, you know, he's a craftsman. Yeah. Like, he's genuinely good. He's, I think he's the perfect casting for that as well. Yeah. So what I've got about that in Glorious Bastards though is um, do you know the end when they shoot is it Hitler? Did they kill Hitler in the Hitler in the end of it in the it cinema? Is, yeah. So is that just like an alternate universe? It is, yeah. This is an alternate universe. He's rewrote Hitler's death essentially. Oh, so is all like the films all in the same universe, all of Tarantino's you know, films? Um there is a theory on that that they all do match up. Um the have you seen True Romance? Um no What's no. it about? So it's about a fella who falls in love with a prostitute. Yeah. Um, he goes to get the prostitute stuff because they get married. Accidentally gets a bag of money and drugs. Yeah. Takes a suitcase home. They open and are like, shit, it's it's full of drugs, like full of coke. So they're like, shit, what are we going to do? And then they're like, we could get a lot of money off this. So they travel to Hollywood to sell it to a producer. Yeah. Now, the producer that they sell it to is a producer in the universe who's made war films. Ah, right. He's a Jewish producer. They say that he is related to, you know, the fella who plays the bear Jew. There's a bear, I love the bear Like, that's his great-great-grandfather in the universe. Like the, Uh, And then that's why he's been inspired to make war films. There's loads of other little things like that, and I think we should do Uh, another conspiracy theory video, but including things like the Quentin Tarantino universe, 
the Pixar universe so, will outline like, a bit of that. Bigger theories, but, not just yeah, little ones. Not just one, little kind of interesting ones that have been, thoughts. Like, slightly confirmed. Ones that kind of make sense on a broader spectrum. So yeah, yeah keep an eye out for that as well. Uh, we'll do something like that in the future. Um, but yeah, so they, they are, do seem all kind of linked. Mm. Um, but obviously it's difficult to do something like that because different acts, the same actors play Played different it, characters. Yeah. Um, there's another thing as well about just one thing that I do want to mention is um, in Pulp Fiction, Mia Wallace went here and Vincent Vega are at Jack Rabbit's Lives. And dancing? She's, no, when she's talking about she used to be on a show called oh, Fox right. Force 5. Yeah. And they were a group of girls they were all like spies and secret agents like uh, Charlie's Angels (laughs) no they each had their own they reported to one man they each had their own little thing one was good with knives one was good hand to hand combat oh shit fucking Kill Bill yeah Uh, so So there's part of the theory is that Kill Bill is not real it's a TV show but it's sort of of a bit set up like that isn't it the way uh, yeah so so we'll go into that in another podcast because that's that's a really interesting thing for us to talk about um, but yeah, I love Inglorious Bastards as well. So what's your favourite Tarantino <sighs> film? There's so many to choose from. Well, there's not that many to choose from. <laughs> um, and I'm not even sure which one to pick. Because, I mean, I think the first one that I saw was Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And I think the reason why I fell in love with Reservoir Dogs was because I fell in love with the soundtrack. Ah, uh, yeah. Little green bag stuck mm. in the middle, hooked on a feeling. There's, these are songs that I remember from my childhood, but the only reason I remember them is because they were from this film. I watched it really, really young. young yeah. Um, because our mum and dad weren't ever people that were like, oh no, you can't show the kids that. They kind of were just like, if they know what it means, then there's no point in hiding it from them. If they don't know what it means, then it's there's not going to do them any harm. Um, so, yeah, that, although that's me first, I think my favourite. I don't know. You're really <laughs> indecisive about it. I am indecisive about this because the, there are so many great, great ones. Yeah. I think Pulp Fiction was my favourite until Inglorious Bastards yeah, came out. I love Pulp Fiction. There's so yeah. many amazing scenes set up in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. I love the reveal of the bear Jew. And it's Walking Eli it's, it's Eli Roth. Tunnel. And I love Eli Roth anyway. He's another one of uh, you know, one of the directors that I really like. Yeah. And he's a really good actor as well. He bulked up for that role quite a he bit, did, didn't yeah. he? He um, was only a little fella and then to be mm. the bear Jew, he's fucking but pulp, pulp Fiction is just one of those films that just makes you understand what it is to be a filmmaker and how you can, you know, display your mind and your vision in a way that may not make sense to anyone, but as long as it does to you, then that's okay. Yeah, like it, makes it does you, seem like that. Because it is, it's, it's, I think it's... Mm, very much a passion project to Quentin Tarantino and it was one of those films like he fought in Pulp Fiction for John Travolta to play Vincent Vega he really wanted him to play that role and it was another one of those things whereas if he didn't get his own way he wasn't going to do it (laughs) I think well you like that when you're a passionate writer and you're passionate for making films it's your baby it is it is your baby and if 
you might don't half half ass it you know what I mean that's yeah. not what he was going to do it he wasn't prepared to do that but the studio fought him on it because they, they'd they said you know Saturday Night Fever Danny from Greece you want oh, him to yeah. to play a hitman like that's not going to work that's not going to be believable that's never going to play well with an audience and yeah. it fucking did I'm glad he got him because he's just brilliant. amazing little fun fact um Bruce Willis was originally cast as Vincent Vega. I made up they got John Travolta. And they got, they? I can't remember who the boxer was, but they cast a proper boxer to to play Butch. Yeah. They bumped the proper boxer, moved Bruce Willis into that role, and then got John Travolta to play Vincent Vega. And it was a good move because, one, I fucking hate Bruce Willis. So do I. The over-actor of the century can't stand him. Adrian! <laughs> what, what's, what's his bird's name, isn't it? Fabi. 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 Flabby Fabi. <laughs> um, yeah, can't stand Bruce Willis. So yeah, the, the less he was in that film, the better. Mm. Like, genuinely, Bruce, Phil- Bruce Willis has only done one good film. Only one film that I enjoy with him as the lead role. And it's Hudson Hawk. And that entire film calls for an overactor. You have to be an overactor because it's kind of like a farce comedy. Uh, It's not one that you take serious and you do have to overact. And that's it. It just puts right in his wheelhouse. Yeah, because he's shit. Um, So I'm glad that they moved him. I don't Uh, think that he's an overactor. I think he's just fucking shite. No, I think he's. he's, No, that that is. Like, he's an overactor. He's shite acting. Yeah. You can tell when someone's trying to act. It's like he's doing his A level <laughs> in theatre yeah. like his theatre studies A level and he got a C like he's doing bounces yeah. <laughs> he's doing bounces yeah. and he's, he's doing blood brothers he's doing blood brothers <laughs> stags and hands <laughs> Bruce Willis is doing his A levels and he got a C <laughs> I got a B Bruce Willis fuck you <laughs> um, yeah so he got bumped and I'm glad uh the soundtrack again for Pulp Fiction is brilliant. Dum, the dum, music, dum, 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 dum. Quentin Tarantino's music choices for his films are phenomenal because yeah. they carry the films along. For a film as well, that's quite disjointed as Pulp Fiction is because it starts in the middle, it ends at the start. Yeah. yeah, it is all over the place, and you've got to piece it together. Yeah, you, as see you get, you get all, the, yeah. and then you, you don't it. get all the information till the end yeah. of the film, and then you've got to piece it together and backtrack yourself. And you go see through. characters die, and then you're seeing characters not dead because it goes back into the past, and then it mm. whiz bangs to the future. But it's structured so you do understand that what you do understand what's happening. And my favorite scene in that is when um, oh, the, the, the I can always forget the character's name who he's dancing with. Mia Wallace. Is that her name in the? Yeah, Uma the, Thurman's character. Uma Thurman with Mia Wallace when the when she snorts as heroin. That <laughs> scene from start to finish, from when she snorts the heroin to when he smashes into his drug dealer's Wait, front lawn. Asking when he for he drives up to original <laughs> Martin McFly. Yeah, house. original Martin McFly. I'm sure we talked about the original <laughs> Martin McFly on the podcast. <laughs> drives up to original Martin McFly's house with the girl with a sieve for the face. Yeah. Um, and yeah, stabs her with the adrenaline shot in the heart. It, it's just, it's just one of those, one of those shock and awe films. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is going on? But for some reason, it all makes sense. 
Like, yeah, this would happen in yeah. this situation. Yeah, it's like you would drive to your drug dealer's house and get him to. I'm eight, it. sitting in the living room quietly watching Pulp Fiction, but this all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that was your mind went to. It was like, this all makes sense. Everything. Yeah, I think <laughs> I watched Pulp Fiction because, like, I just went and I found it, the video of it, and snuck it and watched it. You were blockbusters. <laughs> it wasn't blockbusters. I think my mum and dad just had it. Yeah. And I snuck in and watched it. I, I watched a lot of these films when I was younger, to be fair. I think this is where my love for them comes from. Yeah. And I suppose, obviously, me growing up and then you being a fair bit younger than me, I then, you know... Passed it on to me. <laughs> paid it forward. Yeah. <laughs> but now it is... I don't know. I'm one of those people who would not stop my kids from watching things like that yeah it's you know people say it's violent and you know you shouldn't expose your kids to things like that it's art exactly it's how you culture your children it is art and it's the music nowadays and the films that are nowadays that come out and it's just shit it feels like they're being thrown out the music makes no sense the music is terrible I genuinely don't think that there is I think obviously if it's going to traumatise your kids if you don't think you you know it's going to terrify them Obviously, you know your own kids best, but introducing your kids to stuff like this, I don't think is going to really do them that much harm. I mean, they've never no, done they're me any see, harm. They're going to see some time, aren't they? Um, yeah. I, I mean, never done me any harm. I've never killed anyone. Yeah. You know I mean? All that we know of. Let's not. <laughs> <laughs> but now I think, you know, showing kids creative things like this, and they are creative, it isn't yeah. just violence for violence' sake. It, it is art it's a form of expression you know beautifully shot amazingly scripted and that's one of the things that I do love about Quentin Tarantino is the way that he scripts things his yeah. dialogue I get a lot of inspiration from that his, his way of creating conversations is so natural mm. that you do feel like it's just two a people having a conversation yeah. you know, Things don't just come out of nowhere in his films. No. They have extraordinary circumstances, but, you know, if you think about Jules and Vincent's conversation in the car, and they're talking about Jules going... <laughs> uh, Vincent going to Amsterdam, and he's yeah. asking him questions. Royale, Royale with cheese. Yeah. Le Big Mac. Le Big Mac. <laughs> um, stuff like that, where it is just... It's just that's what people do. And, uh, Regardless of who you are or what your job is or what circumstances you're in, people are yeah. still people. Until you shoot the feather in the back of the car. But even accident. even then, <laughs> when they you know, when they go and meet the wolf, they go, the to wolf. Quen- they go to Quentin Tarantino's house. Yeah, and you know, they're having the conversation about you know she's on like a late shift, she's going to be back in like a yeah. couple of hours, and she's going to fucking kill me, and then they're sitting there and having the conversation about the coffee. Yeah, it's again, it's it makes them people it makes yeah. the characters people and I think that's why his films play so well because they are for for a large part extreme circumstances mm. if they were unrelatable characters in those extreme circumstances I don't think the films would play that well No, but because he makes he draws you in by making them speak naturally even people like Jules or Vincent or Mia or Quentin Tarantino's character or Winston Wolfe you connect with them. Well, that's because they, they, like, they speak like we speak. Because they, they feel like they feel normal real. people. They feel like normal people. Yeah. Besides the other shit that's going on. Yeah. Like they're sitting there talking about the coffee while the car's full of blood and the wait and skull mm. and brains and they're waiting for Winston Wolf to come and yeah. sort it out. 
Uh, so it makes you feel connected with the characters, and I think that's a big part of his films. Yeah, even when what well, is it's when they're going to um, get the briefcase, and the scene when they go and get the briefcase off those fellas is brilliant. Um, they talk about Big Kahuna Burger. Oh, he does yeah. his Ezekiel speech, but before that, Vincent's just casually telling Jules like, oh, "I'm doing a favor for." Um, Marcellus, he wants me to take his wife out while he's out of town, trying yeah. to go out and eat. And they're talking about um, foot massages. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> it was like that conversation's do... <laughs> just like a proper lad's conversation. And it's those moments that, as a kid, I didn't pick up on, but as I've grown older and I'm interested in film and writing films and creating films, it's, it's one of those things that you do pick up on and you're like, that's such a nice little add-on. Yeah. To just make these conversations happen in in like lieu of transition, yeah, in like lieu of screen fades and cut scenes mm. and stuff like that, and does, background yeah. music. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, they he could have, as you would see in any other film, he'd have just had them two getting out of the car, doors shot from the front of the car, doors slam at the same time. They walk around some like proper badass music playing as they walk down the hall knock on the door and they open it and then they have that scene but instead they have these... he turns them into real people yeah. and they have that conversation instead of hyping them up as these untouchable infallible hitmen he shows you that they, they're actually people human. and it's more effective they're more effective as being scary hitmen because of the change the dramatic switch yeah from having a conversation like that to them walking in the room and, and, and you know commanding the room yeah and turning into these you know genuinely scary people yeah because you don't see when you if you watch first watch it for the first time like when I watched it for the first time I didn't expect them to be that like badass the way they were talking like talking about the the royale with cheese yeah. and then they go into the room they shoot two of the lads the olds they gun up and then <laughs> and then yeah. sort of thought it was like oh this fat was like a babble bash in the end mm. <laughs> but it is a, it is really good and those are the things that I appreciate about, appreciate about his films it's those little moments that make the characters human yeah you know there's not much of there's a few bits of that in Reservoir Dogs and I think it was a bit of, you know testing that kind of thing out with that film um, we get a lot of that with Tim Roth's character in Reservoir Dogs when he's rehearsing his story because he's undercover isn't he yeah and he's rehearsing a story and he's doing it in the mirror and you see like his progression and they have the conversation at the very beginning of the film about the tip mm, about who's yeah. left the tip um, and then the film takes a really serious dramatic turn um, one of my favourite scenes of any Quentin Tarantino film is Michael Madsen putting on the radio and it's stuck in the middle with you and he's dancing, he's dancing around, around while he's torturing while he's got the police officer tied up and he begins he, to you know, torture him. He starts torturing him and cuts off his ear. And it's that it's moments like that that I really appreciate in Quentin Tarantino's films is the contrast of the characters and yeah. how easily he can Went show all being... dimensions as characters are never two dimensional or one dimensional. Human to insanity. They're always full, fully rounded characters. Yeah. It's never just the hitman. Never just the wannabe actress never just the mob boss because he even does it with Marcellus Wallace we don't hear or see a lot of Marcellus until near enough the end of the film where he's with Butch yeah, yeah, yeah. and they get taken by Zed 
That is a um, brutal scene. It is, is a, a really, it scene. is a really brutal scene. But Marcellus is ca- is the set up as the infallible, untouchable mob boss. But then he's not. And he ends up getting like violated by you know the... he's the merciless fella who everyone's fucking terrified of. Yeah. And then he goes through that really traumatic experience. He gets raped. Yeah. But then not only that. The fella who he was about to kill saves his life and then he lets him go and he's yeah. like I never saw you and you know even in just that scene a lot happens in that scene but he completely rounds off the character he makes him a solid person and all of his characters are solid people and I love that I com- like I'm so inspired by that by him by being, his characters by his characters yeah his character conception is fantastic <clears throat> Yeah, and his stories are well well built. You know the structure in a lot of his films is back and forth, but you're never confused. You never like oh, where did it come from? Yeah. Because it always comes full circle. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that's I, I would say Pulp Fiction is my favorite. It has to be. Yeah. Um, it is. Just... Inglorious Bastards came out and Pulp Fiction kind of fell by the wayside, but it is all the, always the one that I'll go back to, mm-hmm. and it's the one that I'll if. Someone said, yeah, there's, there's a collection of films. They're sorry, I've only got Quentin Tarantino films. Yeah. Do you want to watch one? And it'll just instantly be Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I'll watch, we'll watch the that. The thing is, though, you know what your favourite is when you could watch a movie, what like like you could watch Pulp Fiction and then watch Pulp Fiction again. But if you're watching Glorious Bastards, you'll be like, do we want to watch it again? <laughs> Literally, like, people who know me, if they ever want me to shut up, They'll just put on Pulp Fiction, and I'll instantly just be quiet because I'll just start watching. Because you'd always recognise something in Pulp Fiction that you didn't recognise the time before. No, I think I'm a bit. I've watched it too many times to notice new things about it. But yeah, I remember that. Like every time you watch it, you notice something new. Yeah. Um. So your favorite is Django. Pulp Fiction. Um. What would you say is the worst? In your opinion? Um, no. Um, oh dear. Uh, that film that I always forget the name of, Magnificent Seven. Hateful Eight. <laughs> the Hateful Eight. Yeah, fucking, I remember the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Hateful Eight. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really like that. I finally watched it. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't like it. Yeah, I really the, don't like it. I get. I feel like maybe you didn't like it because. The pace was different yeah. from his usual films. It was just like it is just all in the one. It just all place. yeah, just all like just kicked off into the, the little cabin thing, and it was just. Mm. I didn't. I didn't really like it. You don't. Not rated. I don't know. I don't never rated it. Didn't feel like I learned enough about the characters to get me into it. The one that I never rated, and the one that people are always surprised by when I say this, is Kill Bill. Really? I think Kill Bill's the worst one. Fucking hell! Kill Bill but, one and two do not like uh, them at all. What about three? Three's not all. There is a three, isn't there? No. There's only one and two. Is there not? Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume oh, 2. Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, do you know, I do like Kill Bill, but it makes more sense if Kill Bill was a TV programme. <laughs> I don't like it and I don't know why. I think... Just because she punches herself out of the coffin and that's impossible. Yeah. She wouldn't have been able to do that. And then she gets shot in the chest and she's like, still alive. If she'd punched a hole in that, it would have collapsed on her. She gets shot in the chest and she's still alive. You know, there's some really great scenes in it. Yeah. Um, that uh, when she cuts everyone up. 
But I genuinely don't think Uma Thurman's acting her best in that film. No, I'm sorry, to best be fair, no, you pointed out Kill Bill is rather poo. I don't... I think, like I mentioned before, in, you know, near enough, all of the stories, the well-rounded off. Yeah. And even... I didn't like Kill Bill 1 when it came out on its own. When Kill Bill 2 came out and I watched them both together, the story still wasn't rounded off. Mm. It didn't feel complete. It felt like there was a lot missing. Whereas it was framed and set very much the way Pulp Fiction is. Yeah. The back and forth all the time. And Kill Bill's kind of like in reverse order, isn't it? Like, Aren Ishii is the last person she kills. Mm. But it's it's the second person we see her kill. Yeah. After Black Mamba. Um so it is structured like Pulp Fiction but I felt like there was a lot there's, there's missing pieces and now I don't know if he's going to do a number three I think there, there is the, the, the potential there and I think maybe he is making a third one mm. I think I've heard something that I think that's why I thought there was a number three because um, and you know I'll, I'll re-watch them and watch them again as a finished product but there's a lot there's a lot of gaps there yeah. and there's been a lot of time since he's made them so you know, to not have feel like you've got a complete story, it ne- something like that never sits right with me anyway. No. Like it just doesn't feel right. Um, Is the fellow no. who played Bill dead now? I don't know. I'm think, sure he I died. So, I don't know. Yeah. I think he died of cancer. Um, but yeah, and there's just some stupid bit in it. I don't like it when she goes off to go do a training. Yeah, I don't like when she's sitting in the bed and then she's wiggling her toe. Like she can't move, she's paralysed and she's sitting there wiggling her toe. Yeah. I just um, I don't see no point in that. But you can't walk, but all of a sudden you can drive yeah, the pussy wagon. Yeah, it's it is a really confusing. Um I just I just don't like the way it's structured. I don't like the order that it's set in, I don't like the the feel of it, that it's not a complete story. Yeah. I think it is another film that's if it did turn out to be a TV series then it makes a lot of fucking it sense because the sense, acting yeah. is all over dramatic <laughs> yeah. it's a bit like he's tried to make a western version of a film like say Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon yeah. it's kind it, of yeah, like it that, is yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very it is it's very strange and as much as I do love films like that like Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon is a walking boss film yeah. but that's that's a film Displayed and created by a certain culture, and I, Chuff, not I kind of don't like it when there's the the cross of the. Does the crouch tag and dragon have Chuff Norrison? I don't think so. No. What's the one with Chuff and the Norrison Bruce Lee? I'm sure know. it's called Dragon. Bruce Lee so. is on in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, Jelly, Jelly, no. I'm I'm sure there's a film, something Dragon Return of the Dragon or something. Return, that's a Bruce Lee film, I think. Is it that's with uh, with Chuff Norrison and they have the fight at the end? Uh, I thought, that's what I thought you were talking about anyway I've never seen that Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon um, yeah it's a good film there's another film like that as well um, but yeah it kind of felt like a film like that um, and I'd rather th- films like that stay within the culture, the culture yeah. because the culture does them properly Better, yeah. and it's this, this is the same thing that we were talking about when we were talking about um, Ghost in the Shell yeah. I think certain films need to be kept within the cultures that they create do, yeah. them. Otherwise they get ruined, they get spoiled. Yeah. Um but yeah it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Yeah. It's just the, it is, in my opinion, the worst one. Although, um I've mentioned at another point in the podcast I really do enjoy or I really did appreciate the fact that he went back to anime. 
to tell her any she's story because yeah. it matches with her character culture and it also allows him to do the things that he wants it's to do. because it's easy to get a child, like to draw a child, murdering people as she was instead of showing a human real life child. The other film that I couldn't think of is House of Flying Daggers. Oh yeah. That's the best film. That and is it is kind film. of like a film like House of Flying Daggers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just not, it just doesn't take me fancy. And I feel really bad about saying this, but the the women actors in it, not like cup of tea. And I do love your female actors. And I really it? do. I love a strong female character. Um, don't like these ones in this, but I think that is just because they all still centre around Bill. Yeah. So I don't know. Oh, well, yeah. That was disgusting. <laughs> I clicked my neck. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, uh, we, yeah. I think we've done honourable, honourable mentions in a when we talk about favourites uh, yeah all these favourites I think honourable mentions need to be the ones that aren't really counted as Quentin Tarantino films but are I personally would still say so you know a filmmaker's film is the person who's made the films that director so yeah. things like um, True Romance a film made written by Quentin Tarantino a story written by Quentin Tarantino but a film made by Tony Scott Tony Scott's oh, film yeah. True Romance is fantastic. That's honourable mention for me for Quentin Tarantino. He deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, Just Till Dawn as well. Uh, so Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino wrote I it. I love Just Till Dawn. Um, so yeah, Just Till Dawn again. Quentin Tarantino got like the worst actor award for Just Till Dawn. But, really but I think his character... Of, but Richie, I think he did Richie really well. Yeah, A really yeah. creepy pair. Richie the pair. Yeah, the perverted yeah. one, yeah. Have you seen that in the TV series he's done from Just Hold mm-hmm. On on Netflix? I thought that was quite good, but it got it's really good bad ratings. It's good because it's doing it again. Yeah. It's the fella who did the film. It's doing yeah. the series. It's, uh, it got really bad ratings, but I thought, mm. it was, I thought it was quite good being able to watch the story again and get a little bit more. Another honourable mention. Horrible. Honourable mention. Honourable mention. Death Proof. Which Death Proof? Oh, with the, 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 the car. car. The car. Yeah. Didn't he do? Was it the zombie? The zombie planet one. What was that called? Uh, planet Terror. It was Tenor. him and Robert Rodriguez. They both did one film yeah, each, the and they put leg. them together called Grindhouse. Oh yeah, money. They tried to go back to the classic way of doing cinema, where yeah. you'd have a double feature. Mm. Science fiction. Double feature, <laughs> and they did a double feature, and in America they screened it as they played one, had an intermission, played the other. Yeah, um, they did like that little kind of movie experiment, and yeah, they're both brilliant films. Love Death Proof just because I love Kate Russell. Yeah, I can't fault Kate Russell. Fucking love the man. They are mad, like like that Planet Terror. That is strange. Mm. The way the girl's got the the, the gun through her leg, uh, the fella, the zombie pulls down his pants, and his penis rots away. <laughs> Uh, it's a really strange <laughs> yeah. film, but I'm, I'm I'm sure they linked up in some way. The both like both films like linked up. Yeah. Together. They did, yeah. Um, one thing I want do want to say about Death Proof as well is Death Proof. I think was a little bit of a love project for one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite people in the world. Who? Zoe Bell. Um, she's been the stunt woman for Quentin Tarantino for like nearly every one of his films right Uma Thurman stunt woman in Kill Bill oh, she's yeah. done stunts and organised stunts for his other films 
Um, but he wrote the film because he felt like she deserved the spotlight. He wrote the film for She's her. the main character and oh. she plays the main character in Death Proof. Oh, right. And he did that for her. He oh, that's the, nice. the part of her because he felt like she needed yeah. to have the spotlight for a little bit because she's worked so hard. Well, that's, that's a really nice thing. Right? He's just a nice fucking dude. He's that just a good fucking, fucking person. Right, creative fucking film. And the fella whose film training came from working in a video shop. Yeah. Him and Kevin are very similar. They both worked in video shops. And that's where he got like his knowledge of films. He just watched films yeah. all the time. And then he just the best way to do it, learned it? how to make them by watching them. Film, yeah. And he just had great ideas for, for films. True legends. I really have enjoyed talking about him. And I do enjoy talking about him. I could talk for hours about him, really. But we're not going to be here for hours, I think. <laughs> I think we'll cut it there. Um so thank you so much for listening if you are still listening at this point yeah bruh if you did like it subscribe we do more things like this where we just ramble on if you don't like it then fuck off yeah you're gone go find someone else but thank you so much as I said for listening we will be back soon follow Um, us on twitter subscribe to this comment let us know if you want us to do anything else yeah Uh, and this has been Idiot Box Styles Podcast with me, Kat. And me, Tom. Bye. Bye.